Our sermon for today for Christmas Day is based on Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, the angel, when, excuse me, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Today, we want to do two things. First of all, we want to talk about the fact of the incarnation. And then secondly, we want to talk about why it's so important. Uh, The fact of the incarnation is something that is unique to Christianity. You look across other world religions, the idea of God becoming flesh, God becoming human, is either impossible or unnecessary. If you look at the Eastern religions, religions like Hinduism or Buddhism, they would say that the idea of God coming in the flesh to be human is just unnecessary. Part of their theology is that God dwells in all of us and all of us are in some way a part of God and as we die, we all get absorbed back into the all soul and become God in a certain sense. And so why would there need to be a God who comes in the flesh? Their idea of heaven is a different state of consciousness Not that someone came in and changed you, but that you changed yourself. You understand the world differently. On the other uh, side, the other end of the spectrum, the more Western religions, Islam, Judaism, they would say it's, it's just impossible for God to come in the flesh. Whether that's because they believe that it is just below God to come down and become human, or whether they would say it just does not fit with his nature, They'd say it's it's impossible for God to become human, and therefore, why would you Christians believe something so foolish? But the doctrine of the incarnation is actually so beautiful because it does take the best of those ideas and brings them together in a wonderful marriage that equals your salvation. As we think about the Western religions, those who would say it is impossible for God to come in the flesh, what we have to ask is, Why is it impossible? Is it not the greatest show of majesty and power to make oneself low? It is the work of those who are self-absorbed to try to make themselves bigger and greater and more powerful. It is those who are cowards, those who don't believe in their inherent worth, who have to make something of themselves in order to matter in the world. It is those who are secure in themselves who are willing to bring themselves low. Maybe you see that around Christmas time, grandparents or even great-grandparents who will play with their grandkids. They'll get down on the floor and play some meaningless game, at least for their standards. Why? Because they're secure in who they are, and they know that playing a child's game would bless their grandchildren. Is that not the picture of our God? Is it not the greatest show of his majesty and power 
that he would say, I am so secure in who I am. I do not need you to love me, but I will come down and love you. On the other side, the Eastern religions say that, that the incarnation, God coming in the flesh is unnecessary. And yet that just does not comport with our human experience. The, the final end result of a, a worldview like that is to say that, well, if there's injustice in the world, then it doesn't really matter. You shouldn't do anything about it because it's all going away anyways. It's not going to count for anything. If there's pain, get over it. It's an illusion. It's not real. But you and I know that's not true. The world that we live in is full of pain. It is full of frustration. It is full of injustice. And we can objectively say those things are wrong. So we need a savior. Because like we read last night from Titus, it is our fault that the world is so dark. Ours collectively as humanity that we continue to sin. We continue to rebel against God. We need someone to step in. The presence of God in the world is not unnecessary. It is absolutely necessary. And that's just what God did. Like we heard from the gospel writer, God became flesh, made his dwelling among us, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, the Lord saves is what his name means. God came down, he made himself low so that he could save you from your sins. And even if you don't believe it, you should want to believe it. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to people about Christianity, why I'm a Christian, why I think it's valuable, I get tempted to want to convince them that it's true rather than just convince them that it's, it's worth wanting to be true. I think as Christians, we get so bogged down with the details of the story and the historical and archaeological evidence, and those things have value, but they only have value after you've communicated the beauty of the gospel to the point where the person wants it to be true. If only it would be true that God would come down. If only it would be true that the, the invulnerable would become vulnerable. The, the unfathomably remote would become huggable. The immortal would become killable. The immense would become a single cell in his mother's womb. How beautiful would that be if he would come and he would graciously save you from your sins, not because of your righteous works, but because of his mercy. And only when you want that to be true is it a glorious message that it did happen. And that the shepherds, the wise men, and then millions, even billions of people from that day forward found that thing to be true. And that's what we celebrate today. You ought to want it to be true. And it is. And here's what it means for you. Like I said to the, the kids, it allows Jesus to love you with the five love languages. I didn't use that term with the kids, but maybe you're familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages. It's at least one psychologist's way of figuring out how people express love. And maybe you know this, if you've had a conversation like this with a spouse or with a friend, that there for each of us are different ways that we more genuinely experience love. So to use myself as an example, uh, for me, gifts are not that great of a way to show love. I, I feel loved when people give me gifts, but it's not as profound as, say, when someone says something nice about me and they compliment me on something that I do or remind me how valuable I am to them. That has a profound effect on my psyche, and the reverse is true. If a person forgets my birthday, I get over it pretty quickly. But if something, somebody says something negative about me to my face, I can be crushed for months. 
Now, those are two of the ways that you can express love. You heard the other three. Acts of service, doing things for other people, physical touch, and, um, and time spent together with other people. Maybe you can even think right now, what's the way that I most genuinely experience love? And maybe you should tell your spouse or, or your friends if you haven't before. It would make being married or being in a friendship far more easy. And as I was meditating on that idea, I realized why sometimes I'm not as profoundly affected by Christmas as I wish I was, because much of Christmas talk is about the gift, right? The gift of God. God gives a gracious gift, the greatest gift, the gift of his son. And that's all true. I just don't experience love through gifts very well. And that's why it's so profound that Jesus does all the other four as well. That God does not just give us a gift in the form of his son born of a virgin, but that he also puts his son in the world, not just to come and quick die and get it over with and get back to heaven, but 33 years he spent with humanity on earth. And as he ascends into heaven, he promises, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He walks with you, hears your prayers, gives you guidance through his word. Speaking of that word, he continues to affirm you in it. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're accepted. Nothing can take you out of his hand. And he gives you his service, his death on the cross, but his continual service of showing up here to remind you of his love in all the other ways. Watches over your life, makes all things work out for the good of those who love him. And then finally, with bread and wine, he gives you physical touch. He envelops you in his immortality that has taken on humanity so that you can know that the humanity that you are living in that is cursed by sin will not be cursed forever because in it resides the perfect immortality of Christ. And in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate that union as God gives himself to us, expresses that love to us. So as you think about how you best experience love, think about how Jesus expresses that love to you on this Christmas. And then realize the power of that message for the journey that's coming. Everything about Jesus' birth, as we reflect on it, as we look at Christmas cards, as we look at beautiful landscape portraits and all these sorts of things at this time, it can become so um, soft, beautiful, sweet. And it's not that it wasn't those things, but it was also challenging and dark for those people. I mean, think of Mary. I mean, any of you who know anything about living in a small town, Know that everybody in a small town knows everybody else's business. And there she is, three, five, six, seven months into pregnancy, showing, and everyone knows who's not the father. And you know that, that in the back of her mind, she's thinking, but this is what God wants, and this is, this is what is right, and this is going to bless everybody, but my personal experience right now is very contrary to that. What do you think of Joseph. Kind of a similar experience, right? Holding on to his reputation as an upstanding man in the community, and here he has a harlot for a wife, or at least that's what it seems. But the angel comes to him and says, No, Mary, what is Joseph, what is conceived in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. He's going to save his people from their sins. And Joseph is thinking, Yeah, I know that's true, but my personal experience and the way that people think about me and talk about me, it's, it's completely contrary to that. And then Jesus. As John Donne said in one of his most beautiful poems, immensity cloistered in in Mary's womb. Everything that was immortal, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, it was all contained. It was zoomed down to a single spot. 
And none of us have ever been omnipresent. We've never been ultimate. We've never been as, as complete as God is. But if you've ever been limited in any way, you have a, a tiny little picture into what that's like. You've taken on a serious injury. You've been limited in some way that makes you not able to live your life the way you want to. Imagine God, everything that he is, the fullness of the deity dwelling in bodily form. For what? To go around in ignominy? To be rejected by people that should have respected him? To be killed by people who should have loved him? To be mocked by people that should have praised him? Part of the Christian life is realizing that the world and us are on two different trajectories. One of those trajectories leads to hell. And you're not on it. And God be praised for that. But until your faith becomes sight, you will live contrary to the trajectory of the world. And it will be challenging. People will look at you funny. They will say things about you that you don't like. They may consider you with a reputation that is not fair to your character. But you know this, that God is with you. And when you're in a tough spot or a dark place, it really matters who's with you. From the child who just wants mommy or daddy to lay down next to them in the bed because they're scared of the dark, or the spouse who walks with you during a dark time of life, the friend who's always by your side no matter what's happening, it matters who's with you. And because of Christmas, God is with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to be with us to shine a light in the darkness, to give us hope in a future. As the darkness continues to try to convince us that, that your love is not enough, that your forgiveness is not enough, that your presence is not enough, dispel the lies by your word. Give us hope, confidence, patience, and compassion for one another. Dwell in this body through your Lord's Supper and through the body of believers serving one another. To the glory of your name, amen.